me talking to myself because that's always good because that always seems to be what has recorded. <laughs> so I welcome in Brandon Joe Williams, the author of a couple books, and you've got some awesome domain names that I'm a little bit jealous of that I'm Thank sure you. we'll get through. <laughs> but first and foremost, Brandon, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? Good. So the book that caught my eye is Love is a Battery because I, I think that um, when I first seen it, I went, oh, no shit. That's obviously true, but I never thought about it. So where did the, where did that front come from you? I mean, obviously, you took some time to put a book into it. So, uh, Well, I've been in sales and marketing for ages, and um, I... Um Eventually, uh, studying far enough in, in sales and marketing, I actually found a, I read probably 150 books or 180 books on the subject. And um, sales, I'm just trying to remember the book. There's only one book I've ever read by a woman on the subject of sales, and it's by far the best book I have ever read in my life about sales. And it's a book called Uncensored Sales Strategies. And it's about... It's, it's from this woman who <laughs> she used to run a uh, a brothel in New York City, and she ran like the biggest, craziest, most affluent brothel ever. It was like an escort, like a high end escort service. And it's it's her it's her take on how uh, sales is three different categories. You have brute force, you have consensual, and then you have romance. And her her way of selling is to make it such an amazing experience for the prospect that they don't want to they don't want to leave, they don't want to leave the sales uh, the sales cycle, right? And it just got me thinking a lot, and I kind of went down this whole other rabbit hole of seduction and romance and in relation to sales and relation to a lot of different things, and the product of that research was. Um, Love is a battery. The book. Well, I was gonna say that, that that philosophy makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not surprised she was the first one to see it, but I'm first. I'm not. I'm totally in agreement. She was the first one to see it that way. So, because the rest of us look at it as a product, but obviously she had a little more. <laughs> well, sex sells, right? But how often can you sell it? I guess is the next question. So that's an interesting thought. So, and then the, the other one. Where we go? I had it open here. Uh, don't be a slave, which was interesting to me because I heard uh, somebody talking about this today about how people are overconnected now because of, well, where's it at? It's on my desk here. Oh, here it is. My phone, right? Because it's easy to reply 24 7, 365 to people. And it's hard to disconnect. It's literally hard to disconnect from the world anymore. So when I seen that title, I was like, oh, there's something to that. And then I seen that video was that yesterday, the day before. And I was like, oh, I got to talk to him about this because. We're so connected. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't be a slave is a book that has to do with like creating a lot of free content up front and like really, really taking the time to care about the prospect's problem by educating the prospect to make them feel better about their problem and to give them a lot of really useful information as regards to how to address their problem. Like for example, let's say you sell cars, you would make educational videos that break down each of the different cars that you normally sell the pros and cons to each one and the various aspects to each car that they should be aware of as a car buyer or potential car buyer. For example, if they have a new child or if they're recently married or 
whatever. And it becomes sort of like an educational series. And then the, 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 the prospect goes through something like that first before actually being sold to, to build trust and to build value. And what that does is it basically, it basically puts you in the driver's seat of who you want to work with. That way you don't have to work with all the clients, like a little bitch, but you can actually just say, you know, like, I don't really want to work with you and you can just kick people out very, very rapidly. Um, and that's how I run all of my businesses and everything that I do. I remove people very, very rapidly if they're difficult. So let's drill down on that a little bit. Let's keep with the car salesman. So you're saying he should focus on, we'll just use the new appearance example one for the moment because that's the only one that came back to my mind. Instead of worrying about all the high-end features, you should focus on just niche down as far as you can, I guess is what you're saying? Well, no, it just has to do with educating, like uh, educating and delivering a lot of upfront value, uh, not just being the same guy as everybody else. You know what I mean? Um, but, but delivering a lot of value, even during the sales cycle. Again, it, it, a lot of it, a lot of my mentality goes back to Sidney Biddle Barros's book, uh, Uncensored Sales Strategies, which has to do with romance. How do you romance the client so much that they're, you could be three times the price and they wouldn't even fucking dream of going somewhere else. So, okay, let's, let's turn this around to something I know a little bit better in my show. How do I apply this romance strategy to my show? Well, if you're you're trying to build a show, build up a show. Oh, always building, right? No matter how long you've been at it, you're always trying to build more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously, building up a show using a lot of the technology from my book would be like uh, trying to figure out what what you know what what is it that the people who are watching the show really want. And then, you know, if you monetize it or you start showing ads, it would be ads that uh, give people kind of what they would want, not ads that would, that would be shown that, you know, that something that they wouldn't really want. And then even better than that, you would team up with your advertisers in a way where, you know, if let's say you're advertising something there would be some sort of like educational videos or something that would be of value to the kind of listeners that would listen to a show like this that you could attach to a product. So the sales pitch wouldn't really be like, buy my product now, which is what you see everywhere, which is pathetic, but it would be more like, hey, click on this link and sign up for this free course and I'm gonna blow your fucking mind and show you, you know, uh, and change your life. And, and whether you buy this thing or not doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, that's the good thing or the bad thing about this business, right? Because everybody's doing so much of the same that it's difficult to make hay at times, but it's also a good thing because there's so many people out there doing it, creating more of a, an audience for it, even if it's not. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. I'm looking at your website again, and I, I one stupid fuck.com. <laughs> um, help me out here. I mean, obviously, like I said, it's catchy, it's killer, it's all the good stuff, but come on, where, where did you come up with that at and give me some truth here? Because I, I think a lot of us may think that, but to have the balls to p- put it out there and do it are two different things. 
yeah, I, I, I've been in marketing and sales for so long and, and I'm very good at it. And I hate most marketing and sales systems that I see. I think they're really sad and pathetic and, and really weird and ugh, it's awful, cynical and, and degraded. Uh, so I always said to myself, man, you know, uh, I'm getting bored of being so damn good at this. And I said, uh, uh, you know, what I think I want to do is I want to create an entire brand based off of self-deprecating humor. It was sort of like a challenge to myself, but then I kind of realized I, I, I wanted to do a brand using self-deprecating humor for about a year. And I had already owned one fuck.com. And, uh, and it wasn't until I started doing all this crazy legal shit before I recognized that um, this is perfect. Because the thing is, is that how are you going to attack or defame someone who calls themselves one stupid fuck? <laughs> That's accurate. Uh, so I, I'm I thinking really, Ronnie Davis really, at this moment. I don't really have any haters. Even, I'm probably the only guy on the planet that doesn't have any haters. I'm sure you do. But they, few, they just they don't, don't, they, don't speak their, they don't, don't speak it because as they soon as they speak that. it, I grab it and use it. So it's kind of funny. So you mentioned some of this legal stuff, which is also a fascinating the twist to all this, right? You've got a whole bunch of um I need one more tab open is what I need. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, where'd it go? Oh, you, you, you got all these fun questions on your, your thing here. And the one, where did the one go that really hit me? Oh boy. Uh, oh, is everything I've been told in my life suspected of being propaganda and who do I trust? I think that's, a, that's just fascinating. Cause I, I told you we're going to fall down a rabbit hole. I think this is where we start where, I mean, because everything is has everything been, been marketed to propaganda. Is that the first yeah. question? What was the first question? Yeah, that's that. That's the first question. Is everything we've been told propaganda? Because I think as a marketer, I'm going to see. I see your answer coming, but we're going to still ask the question. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, uh, I always start these shows in the same place. Um, you know, what is the definition of United States? Do you know the definition of the term United States? No, nah, not thinking of the one you're thinking, probably. So why don't you give us the one you're thinking? Because it's, the, you know, the, the states strung together with a common goal. Loosely. Yeah, that's not the definition at all. <laughs> the definition <laughs> is found in 28 USC 3002. So you literally just go on, on a new tab and you type in 28 space USC space 3002. And then you scroll down to subsection 15 and 15 says United States means definition a is a federal corporation. And the word federal is capitalized, which is a special definition, which I usually get into a little bit later in the podcast because it requires me to go into some other stuff first before I can define that for you. Uh, so, so, and then what I usually do after that is I take someone, I take you guys to uh, USC stands for United States code, by the way, uh, UCC is the next tab that should be opened. It's UCC nine dash three zero seven. UCC stands for uniform commercial code. When you go to UCC nine dash three zero seven, you go down to subsection H subsection H states that, uh, 
It says location of United States. It says the United States is located in the District of Columbia. So right away, we already know a couple things. First off, we know that United States is a federal corporation. Federal is capitalized, which means something else. So we got to figure that out, which we'll figure out later on the podcast, probably. And we know that that federal corporation is physically located inside the 10 square mile radius of the foreign corporate zone called District of Columbia. United States has absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the 50 states of the republic. Has absolutely nothing to do with California. Has absolutely nothing to do with Nevada, etc. Absolutely nothing. I am surprised. Okay, so first twist here. I'm surprised that it took to being in the U.S. Co- the U.S. Code to define that. Like, shouldn't that have been in the Constitution? Or, well, the thing is, is that there wasn't two different types of citizenship status until the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is what created the a two different citizenship statuses. You have the federal U.S. citizen, and then you have the state citizen or otherwise called a national. There's two different classifications. There's actually citizenship and nationality are actually two entirely different things because each state of the 50 states are nation states. That's why the term national is used to describe someone who lives in a state. So that comes from 8 USC 1101. If you open up a new tab (laughs) and type in 8 space USC space 1101. And there's a lot here. It's pretty gnarly, but you're going to scroll down to section 21. If you scroll down to section 21, and you can go ahead and read that out loud. Give me one second here. You're right. That is quite a scroll down. Yeah. For some reason, I've got letters. Hold on. It's a lot. You have one, to scroll one, zero, like one. halfway halfway down the page, literally, before you're going to see 21. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, oh, oh, here we go. It's literally halfway down. Maybe. And then it just back up on me because apparently it was loaded all that way. <laughs> okay, 21. The term for national is the person who owning permanent allegiance well, well, to well, a hold state. Hold on, hold on. Uh, start from the beginning. Read it word for word very, very explicitly. The term national, got quotes around it, means a person owning permanent allegiance to a state. Yeah, now that word is owing. Owing permanent allegiance to a state. Oh, my bad. I have my glasses on. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) The The term national means a person owing permanent allegiance to a state. Okay. So you have actually two different categories of citizenship or nationality in america you have u.s citizen now the term citizen in law means uh uh, someone who gives up dominion over their own life and their own belongings 
to another entity in exchange for protections of their rights and privileges. So you got to keep that in mind too. It's a, it's an exchange basically, right? So the word citizen is not the best word in the world to use, right? So a U.S. citizen is a federal citizen that lives in the District of Columbia. That's where United States is, okay? Now, the District of Columbia and United States is not part of America at all. It's part of a foreign corporate zone that is not a part of the 50 states of America at all. A national is someone who lives in one of the 50 nation states of America. So a national is an American. A U.S. citizen is not an American. A U.S. citizen does not have the Bill of Rights, does not have the Constitution. They have nothing. And this is the big the big scam, so to speak, right? Now, the reason why this scam began is because the 14th Amendment is when the, when the slaves were freed, they created a federal citizen status, and they made all of the slaves federal citizens. So the first and only U.S. citizens that existed were the freed slaves, okay? All of the people who lived in one of the states were all considered national still. And then over the years, through propaganda, they've gotten everyone to believe that the term U.S. citizen means someone who lives in America. And they've gotten everybody to willingly and proudly sign all documentation stating that they are a U.S. citizen, thus making themselves slaves. You're blowing my mind here, so don't pause for a little digestion there because that's just a lot to process. Yeah, it is a lot to process. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, it's about control of who? who okay, who, who who is at the top of this? And I'm assuming the president isn't. If it's a corporation, the top of this is is your your typical guys that come up on everything. It's your it's your Rothschilds and your Rockefellers and your all the good all the good boys probably. I assume I don't really know, but no, but um, I um, assume that's probably what it is. Well, because you got to take the fifty thousand foot approach, right? Like, why is this even an issue? And then you start drilling backwards from that. You obviously follow the money to the ground, but somebody after the money, and well, right there's people behind the money, so there you be. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the the big, huge, monstrous, crashing scam that is um, uh, killing this entire country, crashing this entire country. And this is why you don't have the Bill of Rights. This is why you don't have a constitution. This is why you need a license to carry a firearm. This is why you need a license to drive. This is why you need a license to hunt or fish. The reason why is because you're not an American definition of license in law is permission to do something that would otherwise be considered not allowable. Okay. Yeah. So, so but they're also, <laughs> and we all know that that's another money grab because none of that stuff's free. 
Well, it's, it, I don't really think it has a whole lot to do with money. I think it more has to do with control because the thing is, is that when you're when you're stating that you're a U.S. citizen and you're requesting permission to do something that you already would have had if you were an American, you're you're you, they are not the, the 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 this the slave system and the propaganda is so advanced and it's so powerful and it's so well structured that people are 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 literally signing away their own rights requesting permission from a foreign corporation to do something as simple as drive a car and they're proud of it but aren't driver's licenses ran by the state yeah but that's that's a whole nother so 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 <laughs> State of California, when the S is capitalized, or when all of the letters are capitalized, State of California, uh, that's actually referring to a, a private for-profit corporation that's a subcorporation of United States, and State of California is physically located in the District of Columbia. So when you sign voter registration... And voter registration says state. Uh, you, you, I, I, Brandon Joe Williams. Uh, you know, uh, uh, swear under penalty of perjury that I am a resident of state of California in all capital letters. What they're asking you there is, they want you to sign under penalty of perjury that you live that you're a res, resident inside the foreign corporate zone called state of California, which is physically located in the District of Columbia. And that's exactly why the F in the word federal from the definition of United States on 28 U.S.C. um, 3002 subsection 15A, the reason why that F on a federal corporation is capitalized is because that capital F is referring to corporate state to corporate state. Again, has absolutely nothing to do with the actual 50 nation states of California, Nevada, etc. They are referring to, it's all wordplay. It's all propaganda. State of California is a private for-profit f- corporation that is a sub-corporation of the corporation called United States. State of California is physically located in the District of Columbia. So the capital F on federal doesn't mean anything because all of the states are all physically located in the District of Columbia. So when they say the word federal and they capitalize it, it really doesn't mean anything because there there is no federal. There is no state to state. All the states are all located in the same place. So it's like if you took all the states, made corporate versions of them, stacked them all 50 high, and then put them in the District of Columbia. So people are <laughs> signing under penalty of perjury that, they, that, they, that they, they're a resident of District of Columbia. Whenever you sign as a U.S. citizen, you're stating that you live in the District of Columbia. Whenever you sign that you live in state of California, you are stating that you live in the District of Columbia. Uh the, the only way they can tax you or have any jurisdiction over you is if you tell them that you live in the District of Columbia. What you do because he's, yeah, okay, I'm following you here. So I've got a, so I've using, got a stupid question. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. 
at this point. Now, I'm talking to the one stupid fuck, so maybe this isn't as stupid as I think it is. But mm-hmm. if it is, apologize, my ignorance, because I'm... But I see these commercials all the time for filing your LLC in Delaware or wherever for whatever, 100 bucks, you know. What's different about that than what the states have done? So uh, all corporations are issued through the government. So the only thing that the government can give you is a corporation. An LLC is a corporation. S-Corp, C-Corp, sole proprietor, uh, limited liability company, uh, these are all corporations. It's all the same shit, basically, right? Corporations are the only thing that the District of Columbia can give you. The District of Columbia cannot issue corporations that are located in any of the non-incorporated 50 states. They can only issue sub-corporations that are underneath the corporate versions of the states which are all located in the District of Columbia. So when you say $100 for an LLC in Delaware, what that is actually saying is it's 100 Federal Reserve notes to create, to, to apply for and be issued a corporation by the federal corporation, which is a subcorporation underneath State of Delaware, which is physically located in the District of Columbia. You have a flow chart for all this because that's a lot of layers. <laughs> uh, no, I explain it. I explain it in a lot of different ways. You're, and I have a you're doing pretty well. I'm just saying I, some people might need that visual, you know, yeah, of just yeah. seeing. A, I, I draw it out in my course, or I draw out some things, and and yeah, I actually do draw this out of my course on video number five. But uh, but yeah, it's it's what's happening is is that the 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 District of Columbia just creates all of these corporations. And they name the corporations in really, really clever ways. And then they just put out a little cookie like voter registration. And that's the whole scam. The whole scam is we're going to create a, a, a corporation called State of California. And then we're, the State of California is going to be located in the District of Columbia. And then we're going to offer everybody to vote. And we're going to say, hey, to fix all these problems and to fix everything that's going on in the country, all you have to do is just vote, just fill out this voter registration form. And, and get people all fired up about voting and make politics the most important thing in the world through all the media and everything else and divide all the politics into two different categories and make them fight each other so that people would rather die than not vote. And then whenever they vote, they're signing voter registration, which places them in Washington, D.C. Once a person places themselves on paper in Washington, D.C., they can now be taxed and policed and they just signed away all their rights. Okay, so if somebody's out there listening to us um, and they've realized that you're right and all this other stuff, how do they get out of that mess? How do they get off the, the rules and back to whatever? I don't even know whatever it is now. What's, I well, guess we should start. Is there a way? Can you share your screen? Can you share your screen on this or no? Um, yeah. I think I can. Let's see. No, not that one. Oh, if wait, not, we then we can roll without it. But this one's this one's a bit of a show and tell here. Can you see pres- present on the bottom? Yes. Give it a whirl, see if it works for you. Let's see. All these beautiful stuff here. <laughs> 
share right can you see my screen right now yep oh there it goes there okay. we go Woo. there's the matrix so, happening for us live <laughs> yeah right can you see this yep so this is the answer so to your question is the answer to your question uh, 22 CFR, which stands for Code of Federal Regulations, uh, Section 51.3. This goes into the various types of passports. Uh, types of passports. So the type of passport that everybody has because they're telling the government and they're telling everybody and they're signing on all their forms as a U.S. citizen. U.S. citizen is uh, someone who lives in the District of Columbia, right? And And there's actually statutes that state that anyone who lives in the district of columbia is essentially like an officer or employee of the federal corporation so by stating that you're a u.s citizen you're basically stating that you're an officer or employee of the federal government that's basically what you're doing right and there's another section in the u.s code that talks about employment and they actually say in the employment section that you do not have to be getting paid to be considered employed by the u.s government so uh, that is the way that particular part of the scam is put together, right? So yeah. the, an official passport is the one that almost everybody, 99.9% .9 of everyone in the country has an official passport. An official passport is four different types of subsection of passport, right? And we're going to read each one of these right now. So number one, an officer or employee of the U.S. government traveling abroad to carry out official duties and family members of such persons. So you have two words there that describe what you are. You have the word officer and you have the word employee. Uh, section number two, you have a U.S. government personal services contractor traveling abroad to carry out official duties on behalf of the U.S. government. That one uses the term contractor. Number three, you have a non-personal services contractor traveling abroad to carry out duties in support of and pursuant to a contract with the U.S. government when the contractor is unable to carry out such duties using a regular or service passport. So again, contractor. And the fourth one is an official or employee of a state, local, tribal, or territorial government traveling abroad to carry out official duties in support of the U.S. government. This is the lowest level national passport you can get because it says here that you're an official or employee of a state, local, tribal, or territorial government. So if you're part of a state government, a local government, or a tribal government, you wouldn't necessarily be living and located in the District of Columbia. So this one's an interesting one. This is sort of like a hybrid. This one here says that you are a national, but you're traveling basically as a representative of United States or Washington, D.C. Okay. Now, you can convert your official passport to a regular passport. Go ahead and read this out loud. A regular passport is issued by a national, the na is that national of the United States? I'll go ahead and read it because it, it sounds like you need to get some glasses. Your glasses on, huh? <laughs> I, I told you I didn't have them either. That's the worst part. No. That's okay. Oh, That's okay. Okay. Oh, here we go. A regular passport is issued to a national of the United States. There you go. So, so it's that simple. If you're a national, meaning you live in one of the 50 states, the 50 nation states, you should be going and fixing your passport and cleaning up your passport. That way you get a regular passport and not an official passport. There's a way that you do that. There's a special way that you fill out the application. You can attach what's called an explanatory statement that explains all this, explains that you don't live in the District of Columbia. You don't live in state of California. 
uh, you aren't a U.S. citizen, you're 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 not existing in Washington D.C. in any way, you aren't a corporation. You can kind of go into all that information, and you can attach it to the DS11 form. In the, my free course, I, I I show you a guy you can buy a really great explanatory statement off of for a hundred bucks, and uh, that's how I did mine. And you fill out the application in a certain way. You say no to every single slot that says U.S. citizen. You say no, no, no. It'll ask about your parents and your spouse and everybody's no. All U.S. citizen slots are all no. Okay. There's a special way that you sign the application. There's a special way that you fill out your address. Now, when you do it that way, you're going to get this regular passport. Now, when when you have a regular passport, you're now officially an American. And as an American, you don't need a driver's license or a concealed carry permit or a hunting permit or a fishing permit or a sales permit. Hell, you don't even need a license to practice law. You don't need, this is kind of crazy. You don't even need a license to be a doctor once you have your regular passport. Your regular passport becomes your license to be a doctor. You can actually start doing surgeries on people. Now, you can still get sued for criminal activity. You can still be arrested for, for heavy criminal activity. It's very, very hard to prosecute a national. But at the end of the day, you don't need a license to become a surgeon as a national. You only need a license to do literally absolutely anything if you're a U.S. citizen. Well, let's skip the uh, getting operated on by you for right now. Uh- yeah, I'll do your surgeries at a discount rate, my friend. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll we'll skip that for right now because that's going to be a bit a bit wild. Um, I'm just I'm just showing the how far does this go? Uh, it, it goes as far as you can possibly comprehend it. There there is no such thing as a license for a national. I okay. mean the only the only thing I can really think of that maybe a national possibly would need is now that I think about this is kind of an interesting conversation. So. If I go to case law that the Supreme Court says about this whole situation, uh, this is really interesting, right? Because it says here, uh, I have a lot of different quotes from some really old, really fascinating uh, lawsuits and stuff like that, right? So in, in Tashiro versus Jordan, they say, that there is a citizenship of the United States and a citizenship of a state. So there's a bunch of different cases. This is about 100 years ago. There's a bunch of different cases a long, long time ago, closer to when the 14th Amendment was actually supposedly ratified. There was a lot of cases that basically tore through this. And they were like, well, what is this? And 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 this doesn't make any sense. And, and how does this, you know? So So there's a bunch of different, cases where they they started clarifying all this right and one of the things here state citizens are the only ones living under free government whose rights are incapable of impairment by legislation or judicial decision that comes from twinning versus new jersey uh belmont versus town of gulfport says taxpayers are not state citizens so taxpayers are u.s citizens uh, state citizens or nationals are not taxpayers by definition, right? There's another one. Uh, the state citizen is immune from any and all government attacks and procedure absent contract. What that means is uh, the a national can 
contract willingly and openly with the government in any way they see fit, but the um, they can't be attacked or forced to contract with the government. That's essentially, this is from Dred Scott versus Sanford, right? Uh, the Supreme Court says every man is independent of all laws except those prescribed by nature. He is not bound by any institutions formed by his fellow man without his consent. Now, that only applies to Americans. Nationals are Americans. U.S. citizens are not Americans, right? So now, now here's an interesting thing. Uh, as a U.S. citizen, what, what rights do you have as a U.S. citizen? The Supreme Court has already determined this for you. This comes from Supreme Court case U.S. versus Valentine. They say the only absolute and unqualified right of a United States citizen is to residence within the territorial boundaries of the United States. So the only right that you have as a U.S. citizen, because you are not an American, is to be physically located in the District of Columbia. Which makes it even more complicated if you're in a one of the 50 states of the Union and you're filed as a U.S. citizen because you're basically like a stateless nomad. Because the only place you're even allowed to be is, is in the District of Columbia. You're not even allowed to be outside of it, really, as a U.S. citizen, right? So back to what we were talking about originally, uh, licenses, right? The only license yeah. I could ever imagine a national would ever need is if a national wanted to travel into the District of Columbia. And there's no ever no reason for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably never going to step foot in D.C., for any reason, because it's you're, you're walking into a foreign corporate zone that that is literally like a whole different world and they call the shots. Right. So I, I would I would very much not probably ever step foot in Washington, D.C. But if I did as a national, I would probably contact um, the Department of the Interior, something like that. And I would probably say, hi, I'm a foreign diplomat and I'm, I'm looking to enter the District of Columbia. And I would at least communicate with them and see if I needed some sort of like a license or permit to do something like that. Besides that, you don't need any other type of license or permit for guns or uh, okay. cars or planes or trains or, or dynamite or explosives or sums of money or gold. I mean, you, the list goes on and on and on. You don't need any licenses or permits for any of it. Okay, but but let's play the devil's advocate here, right? Because obviously this is relevant. Because okay, so you get your regular passport and you're you're free, but there's still all these local, state law enforcement who think you need X, Y, and Z license for this, license for that, whatever. So your boy here got arrested for possessing firearms because you know local cop does his whatever. Then what? How do I get? off that or out of that well uh th that that is that is very simple yet also very complex so so does so here's a question for you does the constitution uh uh protect and state that you have the right to bear arms or firearms arms okay uh the atf are they is does the does it do what does ATF stand for? Uh, well, it's the Bureau of Alcohol, Firearms, and Tobacco. Firearms. Exactly. Right. U.S. citizens carry firearms. Nationals carry arms. If you tell them you have a firearm, 
in that same sentence, you're telling them you are a U.S. citizen. You're not carrying a firearm. You've never owned a firearm. You don't even have an interest in firearms. You are a connoisseur of arms, and you are a carrier of arms, but you don't have the right to bear arms until you become an American. As a U.S. citizen, you are not an American. So if you would like to have the right to bear arms, all you have to do is become an American. It's that simple. Oh, yeah. Well, and you, you said you had a course about this, and um, I think I see it on your website, but I'm not 100% sure because I've seen so much of your stuff in the last, well, two hours. I I, I don't want to assume anything in it at this point because my mind's kind of scrambled. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that. <laughs> So where, where can people find that information so that, like I said, if they're interested, we can get them. I have a contract killer course. Uh, so there's two sections on my website that, that are really cool. So I like to read a lot. I enjoy videos as well. I enjoy them both. But for me, I was kind of like, okay, originally my website just had the state national theory page, which is all this information in like a, in like a build up timeline type of thing. It's all linear, right? Now I rebuilt that, expanded it out, and I'm probably going to, do a whole big, huge thing to it here soon. I haven't done anything with it in a while. Uh, and so that's the text-based form of all of this information in in, in excruciating detail, which will, is just going to get better and better and better the more that I expand on it and clarify it, right? So if you prefer to read these kinds of things or you enjoy reading in general, the State National Theory page is uh, the full shabam, top to bottom, A to Z. If you like the idea of of uh, a lot of commentary and you like the idea of jokes and me being completely crazy and singing and showing you definitions live and uh, showing you how to fill out forms live and kind of more of a, of a deep dive hands on approach, that's going to be the contract killer course, which is also free on the website. The contract killer course is 39 videos, one video per day for 39 days. Each video is about 40 minutes long. And uh, by the end of it, you will have cleaned up all your contracts. You will no longer need to be dealing with any sort of licenses or permits for absolutely anything. Uh, you're going to learn the basics of taxation. You're going to learn how to disconnect from the IRS entirely. I'm going to teach you how to do your entire passport. I'm going to teach you how to fill out a W-8-B-E-N tax form for your employer if you have a job. And that will immediately remove uh, federal and state taxes from your paycheck every single week. Uh, I will teach you how to write up uh, basic uh, legal structures, legal forms, legal paperwork. I'll teach you the entire structure of a courtroom. I'm going to basically turn you into a lawyer in 39 days. Which is a good deal for free. And that's at <laughs> once. <laughs> Which is at onestupidfuck.com. Again, I have to say it because, well, it's a website that my guest has. So don't it's don't blame me for saying fuck. It's a hilarious website. It's my favorite. Not to be confused with two stupid fucks, which is a whole different. Probably don't go there because it probably probably a bad idea. 
So, but yeah, okay. this is uh, so so we're, we're we've kind of we've kind of come out the other end of of usually the beginning of how I start a lot of these shows, basically um, just through propaganda and and not understanding the definition of terms. You've uh, been signing all these documents. The only other thing that that I usually go over at the beginning of these shows is the um, for me, there was two words when I found the definitions of the two words. Everything changed for me. And um, the first one, obviously, is the United States, which was like, holy shit, massive, right? Yeah. The second one is the, the, one is the definition of person. Oh, person, right? So so the definition of person, I'm going to read it right here from, uh, this is from 26 USC 7701, subsection 1. The term person shall be construed to mean and include an individual, a trust, estate, partnership, association, company, or corporation. So, so when they say the word person, 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 right? What happened was, is when you were born and your parents signed the uh, certificate of live birth at the hospital, that certificate of live birth went to the Department of Health and Human Services, and they created a subcorporation underneath uh, United States and and state of whatever state that you were born in, uh, the corporate version of the state, they created a subcorporation of your name in all capital letters. So when they say person, 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 they're actually referring to the corporation. They're not referring to you at all. Okay. And when they send you letters and if you look on your bills, if you look on your credit cards, if you look on your social security card, you're going to see that it's your name in all capital letters. That's referring to a corporation that was created by the Department of Health and Human Services, right? So, so the way that the way that law works, and the reason why why there's so much chaos is because people are operating as though they are the corporation. Now, the thing is, the corporation is a completely separate person to you. That corporation is considered a person in law, right? So when you realize that th there's actually two different persons, there's you, and then there's the all capital letter name corporation, you realize that you basically have your own little personal Starbucks. <laughs> and, and you operate in the commercial world using your own personal little Starbucks. When you realize that, that's how all of this works. A lot it, it 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 reduces a lot of the anger and frustration that people have because they think that the government's speaking to them and they're so angry about being taxed when in the rea when, when in reality the, the IRS has never ever once sent you a letter or called you or sent you a goddamn thing. Every single thing they've ever sent to you was for the other person, the all capital letter name corporation. And you were just dumb enough to respond as though you were that corporation when you most definitely are not. And the actual terms that they use to describe how this relationship works is it's called the agent principal relationship. The all capital letter name, the corporation, is the, the corporation is the principal and you are the agent. So let's say, for example, I received a letter. You can just send it back and just say that person doesn't live here. That person doesn't domicile here. That person doesn't isn't a resident here. I have no idea who this person is, because the truth is, she really don't, because that's considered a person in law. So when you say I don't know who this person is, 
that's totally fine. The terminology is perfect, right? But if you did want to respond on behalf of this other person, you would say, I am the agent on behalf of the principal, Brandon Joe Williams. Okay. Now, the thing is, is that agent principal relationships is 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 the same as you have with like a lawyer like when you when you retain a lawyer you you the you become the principal and then the lawyer becomes the agent okay it's the same idea right now in order to create an agent principal relationship you have to have a power of attorney which you've heard of that before right yeah yeah so a power of attorney is really simple it's it's a contractual agreement that is that is witnessed by a notary and the notary verifies the identity of all the parties. So let's say I was going to be your lawyer, right? And I can do it without having to have a license because I'm a national. You can do it without a license anyways, but I, I'm just saying like even more so as a national, right? So all I have to do is just drop a document that says I am going to represent Jim. And then there's two signature slots. There's a principal signature slot and there's an agent signature slot. We go and see a notary. The notary looks at my identification, verifies who I am, and then watches me sign, witnesses me sign. And then she's going to look at your identification, verify who you are, and then she's going to physically watch you sign the document. And now at that point, this it's essentially it's it's like the state itself has 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 witnessed to the fact that this is a real document. These people have been their, their identities have been confirmed and we, I am witnessing this document being signed on behalf of the state. When you do it that way, you now have an active power of attorney. Now, what I did was I created a power of attorney on behalf of the all caps corporation name. And I signed both spots myself and I had a notary check my ID two times. That's how I did it. Right? So whenever I call into some place, and, and I say, hi, I'm the agent on behalf of the principal, Brandon Joe Williams, and I have a power of attorney. Uh, would you like to see it before we speak about this account to verify that I have the right to speak on this account? And they always say yes. And then I send them the power of attorney. And then usually right away, without even having to do anything, my situation gets uh, accelerated up into a very high level very, very quickly because it requires a, 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 a superior supervisor or something like that to deal with me because I actually understand how the game is played. Okay. So you don't have to do a whole lot of battling or fighting when you really understand this whole thing in, in, in full clarity, because the way that it actually works is you have a fiduciary responsibility towards the principal because the principal is considered a person in law, like a human being, right? So all all you have to do is just say I have a I have a financial responsibility on behalf of the principal, right? And the thing is, is that in law it's totally fucking insane, but in law you actually do. That's actually true. So all you have to do is just say I have a I have a, a power of attorney, and I'm the agent on behalf of the principal, and I have a financial obligation towards the principal, and I need some assistance on this account. Here's a power of attorney form that's been signed and notarized. Can you help me with this account? Now you're operating the account as if you're the lawyer on the account. You're not the actual person that anyone's talking to. You're one step removed. You're basically operating as a lawyer. So you, you basically operate your whole life as though you're a lawyer. And that's essentially how the game is actually played. So, okay, let's go back to your situation though. You have a, you, you got contacted by somebody who, uh, as a financial state, probably a bill overdue or whatever the case may be. 
and you act as your power of attorney. <laughs> How does that? Uh, I still see the bill being owed, though. I guess is my question. Or my well, point. I think you're, you're trying to end this off in a few minutes. I don't really have time to get into financials and all that. Basically, uh, cr credit card companies don't send you bills; they send you what's called bills of exchange. Uh, you don't realize that 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 bill is actually nothing like what you think it is. And and one of the fastest, easiest ways to get people to start to really like, holy shit, think about their bills. Your bills are all positive balances. No different than your bank account. Your bills aren't negative balances. The only way that you would owe any money on your bills is if it was a negative balance because you would need to send in bills in order to bring the negative balance up to a zero. Your bills are positive. They're not negative. So why are you paying them? Oh, well, you're just messing with my mind tonight. This isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on a bit of a time crunch here. I think you're trying to end off. I can go longer if you want. But basically, the way it works is in the, in the corporate world, promissory notes are, are considered money. Like Federal Reserve note, like what you have in your wallet, that's not real money. They're notes. When you look in the Bill of Exchange Act, which is where all this information is located, it literally says a note is defined as a promissory note. So what a Federal Reserve note actually is, is a Federal Reserve promissory note. Okay. So you're not actually sending in money at all. You're actually sending in essentially securities. You're sending in Federal Reserve promissory notes. They're basically just securities. They're not real money. Okay. So when they sit, so every time you use your credit card, if you look on the little receipt, take a look at the receipt next time whenever you use your credit card, especially like restaurants and stuff like that. That's the best place to look. You'll see right above the signature, you'll see it'll either say, I promise to pay or or I promise to pay this in accordance with the card member agreement or I promise to make payment on this. There's some kind of wording there that makes it a promise to pay. That actual fucking receipt when you sign it is a promissory note. It's a security. And what you're doing is you're creating securities and then you're depositing the security into your credit account. At the end of the month, they're, they're, they're giving you a statement of all of the securities that you have manufactured and deposited into the account. They're saying, and then when you learn what a bill of exchange is, a bill of exchange is actually just a summary stating of all the different deposits that you've made throughout the month. And you can actually write some stuff on the bill of exchange and you can send it back and they just zero out the account. You, oh you literally, you literally every single person that has ever used a credit card is a bank. You yourself is not the bank. The principal is the bank. You're the agent on behalf of the principal. You're creating promissory notes constantly. Constantly, 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 all day long, all day long, all day long, all day long. You're creating securities, promises to pay. I promise to pay. I promise to pay according to my card member agreement. I promise to pay. I promise to pay for this burger. I promise to pay for this. I promise to pay for that, right? In the legal world, that receipt that you just signed has the same exact value in law as a Federal Reserve note. They're the same kind of instrument. They're both promissory notes. They're the exact same thing. When you sign a receipt at a restaurant, 
you just created uh Jim Malliard notes. You just created a Jim <laughs> Malliard note and you deposited that Jim Malliard note into your deposit account, your credit account. At the end of the month, you're getting a positive balance that looks just like your bank account. Would you ever try to make a payment on your bank account? No. Well, I have, but that's a whole different situation. No. Well, that's because it, it goes into the negative. That's because it goes into the negative. Yeah. So, yeah. so if 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 your if your account is positive, would you ever make a, a, a payment on it? No. Well, then why the fuck are you paying credit cards? So I, I've got a chatter that popped in. Of course, you know, I normally do this on Tuesday nights, but they popped in and wanted me to ask you about mortgages. I'm assuming the same principle, uh, principle well, bad term it's here. the exact so you, same I, thing. Uh, when, you, when you sign your mortgage documentation, you just manufactured a security. You manufactured a promise to pay. Now, what happens is the promise to pay, what they do is they actually take your actual physical application. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to show this to you um, on a screen sharing. Okay. So there, so you've, you've all heard the word endorsement, like on the back of a check. Okay. Now it took me forever to figure out what the hell that actually meant. Right. The definition of the word uh, endorsement just means like, um, some kind of writing or some kind of something that explains how an instrument is going to be exchanged. Okay. And there's different types of endorsement. Okay. So what happens is, is they, I'm trying to share my screen. I'm having some trouble here. Hold on. Yeah. Can you see my, well, my, screen? my screen share? There it is. Can you see it? Oh, you're you're cracking up on me. I think uh, have a bad connection. Can you see my screen share? I can see your screen share now. Yeah, we we kind of whatever happened there. I don't know. My internet must have decided it needed a break for a minute. <laughs> All right. So if you go to uh, if you go to thirty one CFR three two eight point five, this actually can you see this on the screen? Yep. So what they do is they take the mortgage after you sign it. You signed it promising to pay the mortgage. So once you signed it, that actual piece of paper, that contractual package of all the different little papers that you signed over and over and over again, that's all instruments. Those are all promissory notes, no different than a Federal Reserve note. Now, what they do is as per 31 CFR, which stands for Code of Federal Regulations, what they do is they endorse the back of that. It's called a bearer security. They, they swap it around a little bit and they turn it into a bearer security, which is really simple, actually. They write literally on it, payable to the bearer, and they write a few other things on it and it converts it into a bearer security. Then they write on the back of the bearer security, which is the paperwork that you sign promising to pay. It says for presentation to the Federal Reserve Bank of, there's 12 of them. So whichever one is most nearby comma, fiscal agent of the United States, comma, for redemption or in exchange for securities of a new issue, comma, in accordance with written instructions submitted by the bank. So what happens is they, they, they exchange your promissory note 
for Federal Reserve notes, which are also promissory notes. So they swap one promissory note for another type of promissory note. Then there's actually a secondary contract that you sign. The second contract is the one that you're actually paying on, right? You already paid for your car or your loan or your business loan or your house in full the second you signed the documentation because once they turned around and endorsed that security and turned it into a bearer security, they exchanged that actual uh, promissory note, which you signed and brought into existence. They exchanged that promissory note for Federal Reserve notes. So they already get, that's why anyone who's ever bought a house is listening to this right now. You've noticed that they offload the mortgage to a different lender within like 30, 60, 90 days. The reason why is because they already got the full price of the house when you sign the documents. So if, if the house was sold for $800,000, they already got 800 grand up front instantaneously because they, they swapped that, 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 that promissory note, which basically the way the law looks at it is you abandoned the promissory note and they take control and ownership of an abandoned security. Then they turn it into a bearer security. Then they endorse it and exchange that security for Federal Reserve notes. Then what they do is they they have the second loan, which is the one you're actually paying on. They sell that second loan at like 60% of the full value of the loan to their buddies. It's, it's a big circle jerk. They all sell it to their buddies, right? Hmm. So they get 160% on the entire loan. Uh, within 30 to 60 to 90 days. Uh, and that's basically how the mortgage scam works in a nutshell. All right, Brandon, we probably could talk all night. We'll have, I'll have to get you back when I'm not so mentally warped by you. <laughs> <laughs> Take that with good, good, good. I know, Brandon's I know. This shit, is, this shit is fucking crazy. It, it's, heavy, it's, heavy, it's heavy stuff, but it's good stuff. It's good to hear. Um Give the website one more time where people can find you and all that fun stuff because um, I'm one sure some people falling, falling down the rabbit hole. Yeah. OneStupidFuck.com. And then, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate the time. I'm glad we were able to get together. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I really appreciate it, and I'd love to come back anytime. Just let me know. We will. So appreciate you. And like I said, I'm going to go uh, try to relax for a little bit and process this all through, which is good. So. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand, man. Thank you so much. Let me know when when this is going to get put up or whatever. I will. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. man. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, right.